Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Michael Chong and the information that he was targeted by China. So was his family. He was not told who knew what, where and when the prime minister contradicting the information that Michael Chong came out with when the Prime Minister said, no, it wasn't shared. Almost blaming ceases was the story we were covering at the beginning of the week. And then we're learning new information. So we have questions, a wake-up call, and clearly an indication this story is not going away. We also have retired Vice Admiral Royal Canadian Navy, Mark Norman, joining us. Good afternoon. Thank you for being here. Well, good afternoon, Arlene, and uh, all the best to you and your listeners. And if I could, I'd just like to give a shout-out to our friend Roy and I wish him a speedy recovery. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Yeah, great. And I'm sure we have a lot of people echoing and big chorus there. Mark, let me ask you, with all your experience, what were you thinking? I kind of went through what I was thinking and certainly covering it this week. But when you saw the conflicting information, just even from your military mind, what was it saying to you on this week's event? Yeah, so I had a number of uh, reactions, like many, um, and in no particular order. You know, first of all, I think my immediate reaction was, oh, come on, really? Are we going through this kind of who said what to who, when, mm-hmm. again sort of scenario, which is is really confusing for people? And it just, I think it just undermines confidence in the government uh, and, and the security and defense apparatus that's there. That's my first reaction. My second reaction is that, um, you know, I have no doubt that the information was available and that it was being moved through the machinery of government. I have no insight into this specific issue, but these kinds of things are, they're well captured, they're well briefed. And and I think we're seeing an example of, um, to be honest, uh, some, some systemic incompetence more likely on the political and political staffer side of things than on the machinery of government side of things. Um, obviously, a reaction about, uh, you know, Mr. Chong, it's himself and his family. I mean, that's just a terrible situation. But I, I and then I, my, my most, I think, concerning reaction is that we just once again demonstrate to the world, and in particular, in this case, to China, that we just are not a serious country and we're not behaving seriously. And these are real issues. And I genuinely believe that there are real threats to our our democracy and to the institutions that support it. So those are my thoughts. All right. 
All right. I want to ask you, I want to go into the details of the contradiction. And I know you were going, oh, no. And I I think a lot of Canadians were. But let's pick up on the really important context that we can keep in mind as we move through this here. The importance of it. We have looked at some dents in our national security. Some say this is a warning sign, an alarm bell or more. I mean, People are also wondering if this isn't a dangerous and important moment, Mark. And as you say, our allies are watching. And what they think of us matters here. Mark, is it is it an inflection point, in your opinion? Um, it could be. Um, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll say bluntly, I, I haven't thought of it that way uh, until you mentioned it, but it is significant for the very reasons you described. And, and it's significant really on, on two levels. How are we going to act on this ourselves? Because it's in our interest to do so, and we need to do the right thing. And as you point out, then how are we going to, to act um, in the context of our uh, more global responsibilities. And, and you know, of course, the Chinese are going to be annoyed at us um, if we push back and expel the uh, diplomat. But, I mean, this, this is, we're, we're, we're being weak and we're being indecisive. And the, the Chinese regime are bullies and they're going to take advantage of that. Whether we like to think that that's the way things happen or not, the reality is that's how they're going to play out. What do you think we should do at this moment? We've got a call to expel uh, the diplomat in question. And so far, we don't have any action on that. What would that say? Well, I, I think the vacillation and indecision is just playing right into the hands of the Chinese regime. And it's demonstrating once again that Canada does not have a clear policy, a clear a strategy as it relates to how we want to manage our relationship with China. I, I believe that we continue to act in an extremely naive way. Um, and, um, you know, as far as the specific actions at the moment are concerned, I, I tend to agree with uh, the arguments that are being made that, um, you know, we should have acted, uh, we should have acted decisively and we should have accepted the risks of doing so. Um, and the longer this plays out, I think the weaker Canada looks um, on the world stage, and in particular, as it relates to our relationship with China. It is. I mean, we've been pursuing this economic relationship with China for a long time. It's been really tough. And we've asked ourselves a question. The world has done that, even with the Olympics. Can you do both? The word engagement came up over and over again. And now we're looking at how much engagement there was and with maybe not the payoffs we thought that that engagement would bring China a little bit into the norm that we expected. Mark, has that engagement been a failure? Do you think? I, I won't predict whether it's going to fail or not, but well, I'll, I'll give you two comments. The first one is that serious nations act based on national interests. And until you can really come to grips with what your interests are in terms of specific relationships or opportunities, as you just described them, or, or threats and, and vulnerabilities, as we're seeing play out. You, you can balance them if you're acting consistently in support of your own interest. You know, the serious countries um, are able to pursue um, a multitude of interests 
simultaneously and concurrently in their relationships with with difficult countries like China. And the example I was going to give you and your listeners is uh, Australia, who um, have a significantly larger portion of their trade uh, than we do uh, with China. And yet they are able to progress both um, a a, uh, a productive trade relationship with the country, while at the same time, um, demonstrating the kinds of um, strength and, and fortitude that sadly have been lacking in our policy towards China over the last several years. So you can do both. It just takes a, a little bit of a deft hand, and we haven't seen that. Uh, Mark, you know, one of the points, and I'm, I'm sure they're polling like crazy in the Liberal Party and the Conservative Party to see where this hits Canadians. And often when we talk about such things, they get kind of complicated. We're talking national security and Canadians, uh, they're buying groceries and working hard, and they don't always have time to absorb it all. But this you can kind of get this week, especially because we can put ourselves in in the shoes here. And we know Chinese Canadians have been trying to say it for some time that Michael Chong and they have been saying it. They were targeted by China and no one told them. No one told Michael Chong. What is your sense from of how this is hitting Canadians, average Canadians, if I can use that cliche? Yeah, I, I don't know, but I think your sense is is good, and 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 I'll tell you why I'm leaning that way. Um, I gen I genuinely and firmly believe that Canadians should not have to worry about national security. It, 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 this is one of the, the the primary functions of government is to is to ensure the security of Canadians, to ensure the security uh, and stability of all the institutions that serve Canadians. And that Canadians have enough challenges in their lives, they shouldn't have to worry about it. It's also why I I don't think that um, you know defense and security issues should be um, popularized in terms of public opinion. But that's a whole other issue. But back to your question, I think this does resonate, or it is going to resonate, for the very reason you said. This is a Canadian who has chosen to serve his country as a member of Parliament. And he and his family have been threatened. And it appears that the right things did not happen for a variety of reasons. Um, and and the whole who said what to whom argument is both sensational, but at the same time concerning. Um, and and I, think, I think they are paying attention more than they have been. And I think their views on Chinese interference in general have been um, somewhat awakened over the last several months for a variety of reasons. All right, we've learned a lot since 9-11. This was, and then there was a commission, and they seem to have it. We need an inquiry, maybe America could do it, certainly in those days. I don't know if they'd have the same political challenges as we do now, as uh, politics has changed and almost the stubbornness has changed, in my opinion. Mark Norman, let me ask you, let's go back to where we're learning this. I mentioned as we began the show that former Prime Minister Jean Chrétien making a little bit of a joke about this at the Liberal Convention this weekend in Ottawa, that you know, saying, you know, he he kind of thought, oh, the globe is going to call for an inquiry on election interference because Hillary Clinton's in town. First of all, is it a joking matter? And we know, I mean, politicians give it a willy on these things. They always do. But sometimes they don't work. And then other 
And the other thing I'm going to ask you here, too, is where we are on this story. We've, we've come so far. It began with the leaks. We thought it was someone from CSIS leaking just individually because they felt about it. But now we know. I mean, there seems to be, there seems to be a, a lot more pouring out of here. It's not drip, drip, drip. There's a flood here. Yeah, well, there's a lot in there. Um, I guess I'll react uh, to the to the two key points. The first one is that um, I I uh, I have very uh, negative reactions to any politician that trivializes or diminishes issues of national security. I think that is a reflection of an overall lack of maturity in this country as it relates to issues of security and defense. And that I think it is irresponsible uh, of anyone, uh, of any political stripe, uh, particularly a former prime minister, to make dismissive remarks about the significance of what's, what appears to be going on at the moment. And to your second question or comment, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm deciphering this as much as you are, um, mm-hmm. and my sense is that, you know, that, that, that there, is, there is something here. Um, well, I don't know what the right mechanism is, um, but it would sure help if people would just come out and be honest and be forthright and be transparent. And maybe that would um, put a lot of these issues to bed. But I think it goes back fundamentally to the earlier conversation about how about we deal with the real issue, which isn't who said what to whom. But the real issue is when are we going to grow up and when are we going to start behaving um, as a serious nation as it relates to our national sec- issues of national security, and in particular this issue with respect to um, the interference of the Chinese regime in our democratic institutions, and who knows what else? You know, there's lots of talk about uh, you know the the lacking we could, the procurement problem here we've gone through, and it's all connected to the story. It's kind of opened up a window into our military. None of it, none of it is really new, is it, Mark? I mean, we've heard bits of this for years and years and years, but it's come together with that big question mark that you and I keep going back to this afternoon: is what are our allies thinking? How important is this, especially at this time of war in Ukraine? Yeah, that and it is it is a, a foundational issue, um, and the 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 country is struggling, uh, failing in many respects, um, and and there's way too many um, factors for us to discuss this afternoon. But I, I I go back to what I've said before, and you know I we just don't take these issues seriously. We talk about them. We, 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 we say the right things, but we don't act consistent with our rhetoric. And, um, you know, th- th- we can, look, we can do anything we want in this country. This is an incredible country. We are, we are, we're privileged. We're wealthy. Um, we put our minds to something. We can do it. The, the, the challenge here in the context of defense and security is we're not really committed to it. We're, we're, we're doing what we think is enough to just, get by and to satisfy um, the uh, the perceived needs and wants of our neighbors to the south and our allies, but we're not really um, committed to it um, unless there's a crisis like we're seeing in Ukraine, and then it's often the case of too little too late. So that's a bit of a long rambling response, but 
you know, that's the best I can give you. On All right. Afternoon. Yeah, it's uh, it's great for a Saturday afternoon. Mark, let me ask you with your experience, how does the rank and file feel? All the challenges we talk about procurement, which really means not enough people say they want to join the military. That's all that means, really, isn't it? Is that you want to to jazz up the interest in it and make it make it a job that they're proud of. Is this affecting things within the rank and file in the military, in your opinion? Oh, absolutely. And, and it's a classic catch-22 scenario in, in that um, we are at a, at a crisis point in terms of the uh, staffing levels of the military. Uh, we're not hitting recruiting targets, haven't hit recruiting targets for well over a decade. Um, and, you know, attrition is, is on the rise because people are feeling um, disenfranchised and disassociated um, with the institution for a variety of reasons. Some of them are are more human related and others are, are directly to your point. They're just seeing that that uh, the, the, the country that these these amazing men and women have chosen to serve just isn't recognizing the importance of their service. Um, to them individually, collectively, and making the kinds of investments um, in terms of capability that are required. So yes, until it, it is, it is by definition a wicked problem, and and the the problems are compounding each other as we try to uh, move this forward. And so okay. it's not going to be a quick fix. It, it's not just a case of money, but certainly that has been a problem for decades. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, we're well past the time where we need to really uh, take this more seriously. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 